0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. Jay Kwasandi. Uh, He's a sleep and snoring expert. I've spoken to uh, many of his brethren in the field, Um, but snoring is not an easy thing to solve, and sleep problems I've experienced and many people experience are not an easy thing to solve. So I want to get as many voices in on this as I can, as many uh, ideas on how to help people because it seems to be uh, incredibly pervasive. So Jay, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for
0: having me. And just, you know, some quick stats. I'm saying that snoring and sleep issues are pervasive, but, you know, you would know better than me. What Are are there any stats that, that come to your mind that really just horrify or shock you or, you know, uh, will keep you in business for the next thousand years?
1: Yeah, so there's about 100 million people in the U.S. that snore, and over half of them have sleep apnea. So if you do the math, it's pretty shocking. I mean, 40% of males over the age of 40 are going to have a chronic snoring problem and snoring is kind
0: of the gateway to sleep apnea. So uh, it's kind of a downhill slope. So, you know, I know there's CPAPs that will blow air into the person's throat to keep it open. Um, You know, there's mouth oral appliances that advance their lower jaw to help them stop snoring. There's things that shock their tongue, the hypoglossal nerve stimulators on and on and on. But why do so many people have snoring problems that lead to apnea? What's going on? with the tissues of their body that that is causing this? That's
1: a great question. So the real problem is is two things that make this worse. One is age and one is weight. So uh, the whole issue that's going on when we fall asleep is when we go to sleep, our bodies relax and our muscles relax. We tend to have a big muscle in our head called the tongue and it's at a 90 degree bend. And what's happening at night is when you're laying down your body relaxes, your tongue relaxes, gravity kicks in, tongue starts to drift towards the back of the throat. As it goes more towards the back, you get snoring because you're getting airway constriction. And then if, you, if it goes all the way back, then you get obstruction or obstructive sleep apnea where we stop breathing. So the problem is, is as we get older, we get something called muscle atrophy. Our Muscles just get weaker over time. Uh, so that becomes much more susceptible to collapse. Uh, the other problem is weight. And generally, as people get older, they tend to put on weight. And as you put on weight, uh, you'll put more kind of fat deposits around the airway, which just constricts the flow even more.
0: Have you observed people's airways and literally seen fat deposits lining the inside, or like where do the fat deposits tend to go?
1: It, you know what, I, I haven't observed it like that, but when you see someone that has a larger neck, you know, especially like males over a size sixteen shirt collar, and and women over size fifteen, uh, that's an indicator or a possible red flag for snoring and sleep apnea. So people whose chin kind of connects to their sternum, where there's a just a kind of a large fatty neck.
0: Uh, they're going to have more problems. So what um, when people come to you, what are some of the common things they'll complain about? And then what are some of the the diagnostic steps you'll take to help them?
1: Right. So the common complaints are either going to be what I call noise pollution, uh, where there's a partner that's being uh, annoyed or sleep deprived because of the noise, or it's going to be the actual patient themselves where they're going to say, I feel my sleep is compromised. I'm waking up tired. Multiple bathroom trips at night. Uh, brain fog, elevated blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, weight gain, mood disorders, sexual dysfunction. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's almost like what can't go wrong with bad sleep. And as far as uh, diagnostics goes, yeah,
0: go ahead. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Go ahead. So so what do you do? What are some of the diagnostic paths you'll take?
1: Right. So a lot of people come in and and they'll say, you know what, it doesn't even bother me that much. It's just bothering my wife or my partner. Uh, But for the ones that that are really affected by it, or the ones that don't know, we do what's called a sleep study or sleep test to actually get quantifiable data, which will measure their sleep. It'll tell us things like how many hours they've slept, how many times per hour they stop breathing, which is an apnea score. Uh, it'll tell us their oxygen levels, which tend to tank, their heart rate levels, which tend to spike, uh, brainwave activity, REM sleep, uh, and on and on. And then what will happen is once these patients come back, we'll sit down, we'll go through that report with them, we'll see what they got, and then we'll come up with a Course of action, uh, and one big thing on the sleep studies that we do is we do home sleep studies because there's two ways of doing it. There's a kind where you can go to the lab and spend the night, which tends to be a bit more inconvenient and a little bit more challenging because of this thing called the first night effect, which is like you know if you ever go on a trip or a vacation or a business conference, that first night's always going to be a little bit more challenging in a hotel room because you're unfamiliar with the landscape, so the body's always in a bit of a more what's called sympathetic state, uh, kind of uh, on guard. Uh, so imagine you're already on guard when you go to a sleep lab, and then they hook you up with all these wires, and then they tell you, oh, just go ahead and fall asleep naturally. So it's it's a bit more challenging that way. So the ones that we do are home sleep studies, uh, which tend to be quick, easy, convenient, and uh,
0: accurate. Well, even with the home sleep studies, I would bet you'd still have a first night effect. So yeah, I thought so, that some sleep studies now at home will do three nights or four that's nights.
1: What, that's correct. And that's what we do. We do three night tests here, just because the first night could be just a kind of a get acquainted night with it, and then the night two and three uh, become much more comfortable and easy and recognizable. So that eliminates that factor. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, what if someone uh, doesn't have apneas, but they have like hypopneas, or they just have this upper airway resistance? Is that enough to cause them problems? You know, the snoring, (sighs) that kind of sound?
1: Yeah, and and you've done your homework. So yeah, so uh, as far as the progression goes, you know, they're snoring. Uh, there's UARS, then there's hypopnea and then there's apnea. So even, even just like you said, UARS, upper airway resistance syndrome, if the snoring is loud enough where it's not, you're not stopping breathing, but if it's still loud enough, it can be a source of disruption to our brains. Because what happens when we go to sleep at night, we go through stages of sleep and it's a normal sequence. We go through about four to five, 90 minute cycles, uh, where we go through light sleep, uh, deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, and so on. So if your snoring is extreme, you're going to disrupt your own brain of going through these stages of deeper sleep where you'll end up in a lighter stage of sleep more of the night and not get the benefits of a deep restorative, either REM and deep sleep.
0: Yeah. When you sleep, you want to cycle through the stages, but you don't want to cycle through them a thousand times. You don't want to cycle through <laughs> them a thousand of, uh, times. Once gonna, yeah.
1: yeah. And you don't want to be kind of a, what I call in, in a, just a shallow stage the whole night, which which kind of messes up the whole thing. And then that's when you wake up feeling unrefreshed because you didn't get a full charge. It's kind of like your cell phone. If you plugged it in with a wire, that's all frayed and and old, it's not going to charge properly.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you wake up and the power is only 40% and you say, damn it. Yes. So I guess that's, that's actually probably a good analogy. A lot of people, maybe they're on continual 40 or 30% charge. (laughs)
1: We've you all had that cell phone home. charger. Yeah. That's been, that's dying. And we're like, we should just get a new one. And that's the same thing with sleep. But, you know, sometimes we don't realize that we don't have like a, a battery gauge really, or like a check engine light uh, for sleep. So that's what we knew the sleep test to actually shed light on the, the actual problem, the underlying problem. So,
0: so what are some of the, uh, the remedies that you'll, you'll have people try to see if they can uh, stop snoring and stop uh, having apnea?
1: So the traditional one is a CPAP machine, continuous positive airway pressure. So that's a machine uh, that sits by the side of the bed. There's a hose. It connects to a mask. And what it does is it gives you pressurized air. It's kind of like if I had a straw and I kept blowing through it with constant air and then I try to squeeze the walls of the straw, it's a little bit harder to collapse. And that way, that keeps the airway open. I mean, fundamentally, all of these are about uh, the collapse of the airway in the back of the throat. Uh, so you got to figure out, it's like a traffic jam back there. So you got to figure out what can you do to open that up or a clogged pipe. So one is with air pressure. The other is with a dental device, which is called an oral appliance or mandibular advancement device. What that is, is something you put in your mouth at night, moves the jaw forward, the jaw and the tongue are connected. So jaw goes forward, tongue goes forward. When that tongue goes forward, then that opens up the back and then air can flow. Uh, and then another one that we have here, that's a little bit more innovative is, is called night Laze, and it's a laser procedure. And we use a laser in the back of the throat uh, where all those tissues are flapping around. And that it's, the laser hits the tissue and causes it to create new collagen, and new fiber and basically you get younger. It's kind of like anti-aging for the airway or Botox for the airway, but you know there's no injections. And, and, and it's not a surgery, so we're not numbing or cutting or burning. It's uh, totally non-invasive. You just literally sit there with your mouth open. A laser hits the back of the throat. You'll hear some beeps. You feel a little bit of hot spots, and it's about a 30-minute procedure, and off you go
0: is the what's the power of the laser is it low power or, or it's pretty yeah
1: it's it? called low level laser light therapy or photobiomodulation uh it's the the technical wavelengths it's an indiag and an URI-AG, uh beam and uh yeah very comfortable easy to do you can go back to work it's an in-office procedure uh, and that night you can
0: expect a little bit of a sore throat so nothing terrible so how many treatments will they need and what will they experience after treatment number one or number three or number ten
1: correct so the traditional rounds are there's three of them so they're about 30 minutes long and they're about three weeks apart and the results last about 12 to 18 months roughly everybody's different but some people come in sooner for like a touch-up session other people will continue to go on
0: so it's not too bad and then what what do people tell you like what are some of the anecdotal uh, remarks people have after sessions
1: so the the two biggest things are one is their snoring has been reduced so uh usually the partners are happy. Uh, And the second biggest one is that they're dreaming more. And I tell them up front, I go, you know, be on the lookout for more dreams. And and they go, why, what are you talking about? And I say, well, what's going to happen is as your airway becomes more reinforced, you're going to get more air and oxygen throughout the night, which means your snoring is going to be reduced, which means your brain's going to be able to get into those deeper stages of sleep that we talked about earlier, which means you're going to get more REM sleep and you're going to have more dreams. Uh, and then they come back and say, Oh my God, I'm having these crazy dreams. I haven't had dreams in a decade. I go, I told you. Really? so."
0: Yeah. You just say you're bringing back the American dream. Literally. I'm trying
1: to, I'm, I'm saving marriages and bringing back the American dream. Yes.
0: So you've had, you've had patients that said they haven't dreamed in years. Oh my
1: God. Five to 10 years is almost the average. Yeah. And, and, and I almost that, look
0: at it. Go ahead. That, does, does that tell you that the REM sleep is just not there or it's minimal or what does that tell it's,
1: you? It's shot. Yeah. Either it's not there or it's minimal or, or maybe they have um, maybe some awareness challenges or they're just not very much in tune with, with how their body operates.
0: Or they're just you know, or,
1: or it could be a lifestyle thing, too. I mean, a lot of people come in there, they work graveyard shifts or they like to have a lot of alcohol. So, you know, there is a, a lifestyle element to this as well, where you need to realize what you're doing will have its effects on your body. Are your patients
0: more men or women or what, what are the skews?
1: I'd say it's about 60% men, about 40% women, um, more women than most people think. And the funny thing with the women is they tend to be uh, much more, you know, speaking of being in tune, they're they're much more receptive to getting better and they're much more proactive. Guys tend to be a little bit more stubborn and uh, hardheaded. No surprise there. It, right? it, it,
0: with, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, but with women, are they stereotypical? Like you'd expect them to be very heavy and very old, or do you have right. some like men or women that are thin and young and, outwardly you would never know that they snore at apnea exactly
1: yeah uh generally if you're heavier it's going to make the snoring worse but you can be athletic you know i've had you know athletes in here triathlon people i've had uh, women that are five feet tall 100 pounds and her husband's like i can't sleep in the same room as this woman uh and that has to do with the anatomy so people who tend to be thin can have constricted airways from genetics they could have it from orthodontics where they were a kid and the orthodontist took teeth out. And what that does is that shrinks the size of your mouth and pushes your tongue further back down your throat. So, or it could be a positional thing where they sleep on their back a lot, which makes it worse as well too. Or they like to have three glasses of wine every night. So you don't have to be big to have snoring apnea, but if you are, that's generally going to make it worse.
0: So you use the uh, low-level laser therapy and that works. Um, mm-hmm. You also will use CPAPs as needed and uh, jaw appliances as needed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dude. it's either, yeah, we we do those three will or we'll mix and match. We'll we'll do two or three of them. Some patients will do all three. It just kind of depends on what they want to do.
0: Oh, wow. Some people need all three?
1: Some people need all three. Yes. Well, when you're stopping breathing over a hundred times an hour, uh, you're going to need help. And and I have, you know, normal range is zero to four, 30 and over is severe. And I've got patients over a hundred. Jesus, that's terrible. Yep. But the, it is terrible. But the cool thing is those patients... Bounce back harder than anybody else. I mean, th- those are game changing, life changing, revolutionary uh, therapies for these people. Uh, imagine going from 100 times an hour down to, to four
0: the next day with a machine. It's just,
1: you, yeah, can't, awesome. do that. you can't do that with, with anything
0: else in medicine. What, I'm sure those people like, uh, you know, hopefully they give you a hug or they're like, they're like <laughs> thrilled, you know, with what's going on.
1: Yeah. So this is the funny thing, too. A lot of people will come in and they're angry either they're angry or they're depressed and it's because they've got poor sleep and they you know they take it out on you a little bit you know and i'm like you know i didn't do it to you man but uh, i'll help you get better so they come in a little generally angry or just kind of indifferent but once they get better they're coming back with high fives and hugs and wives are calling me and crying on the phone so uh that's the part that gets me really excited
0: well that's really cool yeah um what about these uh you know home remedies uh playing the didgeridoo singing, uh, tongue exercises, things like that. Have you known anyone to do that and have success with it? Or what's your thoughts there?
1: I think they're complementary. I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. I think, uh, if you're going to go down this road, you know, the more tools you have in your, in your armamentarium, the better. Uh, I think, yes, the didgeridoo is, is one of the few things that's been clinically proven to help strengthen the airway muscles. Uh, there are tongue exercises called myofunctional therapy that can help as well. So uh, I wouldn't discount those, but I wouldn't put everything into those as well either.
0: Yeah, it's like I guess it's a very complex, multifaceted problem, so it's got to be attacked from a bunch of different angles, which is what you do. Exactly. Yes. So, who are the um, the outliers? Like, what what percentage of patients are you able to help, and what percentage, you know, just have a situation that's more complicated than what you can do?
1: I mean, generally, we're able to help the majority. I mean. As long as we we find a therapy that works for them, obviously CPAP therapy is not for everybody. Uh, they've gotten a lot better over the years, and generally I get great results with them. But you know some people just cannot tolerate, or they won't, you know, they won't have it, a machine in their in their bedroom. So uh, it's a matter of being a matchmaker and finding what's going to work best for what person. And if it doesn't, you know, find another option that works good for them. Uh, so, th- but there are outliers. There are people that. You know, uh, may have what's called central sleep apnea, which is very rare. I think in the last five years, I've had one or two patients. Uh, and those I'll, I'll, I'll send over to some specialist friends of mine that can that can go down that road deeper. But uh, And then it's also lifestyle, too. I mean, they, they can't come in here and expect to get everything resolved, but then continue doing all the stuff that got them there in the first place.
0: And just for listeners, so central sleep apnea is there's no necessarily physical obstruction, but your body, for some reason, just is not producing the signal to uh, breathe. You just Mm -hmm. stop breathing and no one knows why, or is there a known reason why?
1: Uh, You know, it's being researched. I don't know if there's a definitive answer, you know, but you, you nailed it. It's literally the brain just deciding to tell your diaphragm not to contract and and breathe. Um, So it's a bit more complex. I'm sure there's other stuff going on with those patients as well. Uh, But there, there is a, there's a special machine that will help them sleep uh, if they have that.
0: So what's the new technologies that you've read about in literature or heard about that are coming anything new that's going to be better than what's out there now or you know are things good
1: enough (laughs) I mean there's always room for improvement you know just like anything else Um, as far as non-invasive stuff I think I've got all of the current uh, potential things I mean there's there's things out there that you can buy online, over-the-counter, different pillows, and, and there's apps that'll track your sleep. I have sleep trackers that I use that help optimize my sleep, uh, like a ring and a, and a thing called a bio-strap. Uh, so I think that the, this whole biohacking world, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, that tends to be oh, yeah. the things that get me excited, and uh, being able to kind of self-quantify and, and get your own data and then do things to improve it seems to be the, the next frontier,
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for now, the technology you have on hand, you feel like it can adequately address a lot of people's sleeping problems, and you know, we're in a good place in the sleep world. You think, or do we still have a lot of work to do?
1: I think we're in a good place. I mean, it's a constant education thing. It's it's just an awareness, and people need to understand that even though they're snoring or uh, they have apnea and, and they think they're okay, they they're not. I mean, a lot of these patients will come in and say. Uh, doesn't bother me. I'm fine. But then we we get the results from the report and then we treat them and then they come back and say, oh, my God, I've got so much more energy. Uh, my brain's more focused, sleeping deeper, not getting up to use the bathroom. So so they don't realize how things could be uh, because they've been in this kind of status quo for a long time. But as far as technologies go, I mean, there are non in, or there's invasive options. Like you said, there's these hypoglossal nerve stimulators, things called Inspire. Uh, and then there's surgical options, like what's called UP3, which is uvulopalatopharyngoplasty, pharyngoplasty, where they go in and, and cut a bunch of structures out of your throat and your airway. Uh, I tend to lean more on the conservative, non-invasive sides. Uh, but there are other options out there. I mean, there, there's even a crazy option where well, they'll poke a hole in your throat, tracheotomy, and, and just let you breathe uh. <laughs> in, the, in the lower part of your airway past the obstruction, which is bizarre. But there's some crazy stuff out there.
0: Well, one frontier... I see that's really important. Um, I've been bringing it up lately with guests as um, a chronically stuffy nose. Um, I've been through periods in my life where for months, my nose was stuffed up constantly and it just kills your sleep. And people go, oh, just clear your nose. And to me, it's not easy. There's been times where, for instance, like, and I know listeners have it too, you know, my nose has either been stuffed and you blow it, mucus comes out, but it stuffs right up again, or it's just swollen and closed. Yeah. And I noticed that it's much harder to breathe, to talk, to eat, to do everything. Any yeah. um, patients you have in that realm where you have to do different things to help them because they have chronic rhinitis?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and all of the, th- the therapies that we do here are focused on your airway, okay? So, but you bring up a great point, which is if I do everything I can and they're still having issues, then chances are there's some nose stuff going on. And by that, I mean, you know, nasal obstruction, post-nasal drip, things like that. And, and it all has to come down to mouth breathing. And it's something that we do, a lot of us did as, as young children, I'm talking three, four years old, when you start breathing from your mouth, uh, your, your jaw drops, your tongue support drops, your arch collapses, the roof of your mouth goes up, you get this kind of narrow V shaped arch. And as that happens, remember, the roof of your mouth is also the floor of your nose. So and the floor of your nose is connected to your septum. So as the, the you get what's called a vaulted arch, that can cause the septum in your nose to buckle, and then you end up with deviated septum down the road, and you, need, and you deal with nasal obstruction and chronic allergies, because, you know, the old saying goes, if you don't use it, you lose it, and what'll happen is you'll get kind of an oval-shaped head, you'll get a retracted chin, what's called retronathia, you'll get nasal obstruction, and, and the reason I'm saying this, because I'm, I'm one of those guys, I mean, I've literally went down this entire path, and, and most of my patients, three out of four of my patients have had Orthodontics as a kid, where the teeth were taken out, and that led them to a host of problems you know, weight gain, snoring, sleep apnea, teeth grinding, blocked nose, deviated septum, enlarged turbinates uh, you name it. So, but as far as nasal issues go, if there is stuff going on there, I would send them to my, my ENT friends. Uh, they would go in there. Personally, I had a septoplasty about two years ago. I had a 90% blockage on one side, so that I got that straightened out. I have what's called turbinate reduction and, and nasal valve repair so uh, okay. i'm able to breathe through my nose and and what i do which is a bit more extreme back to the whole biohacking world uh, i tape my mouth shut at night and i force myself to breathe through my nose 100 uh, percent.
0: yeah i've been able to do that maybe a couple times during the night usually the tape would come off but i i tried it when i was able you gotta to get some, some stronger tape,
1: tape.
0: <laughs> well, i don't want to die but yeah yeah, yeah. it says that fear. i know i probably wouldn't but you know you have that fear that uh, there is that there is that little die. bit of fear yeah
1: but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the, uh, the nasal stuff too, you know, sinus rinses are nice. Th- those can help. Um, and then I would look at maybe a functional medicine maybe too as well. If, if there's some underlying uh, allergies or underlying toxicities, uh, maybe there's some silver fillings in your mouth or, or mercury, or, you know, you ate a lot of fish with heavy metals, uh, or there could be a, a dusty, dirty bedroom. I mean, my bedroom has been up op- is like a sleep chamber. I mean, I've got air filters. I've got, cooling pads i've got emf blocking stuff uh, and, and when i go in there it's it, it's like a cocoon and, and i tend to do much better so you got to kind of think well, yeah. what's causing the problem
0: yeah I, i've well i noticed a bunch of years ago when i changed my diet for a while i uh pretty much had no dairy and i you know was low carb that cleared up my sinuses i didn't even realize it but after a month or so i was like wait a minute my sinuses are clear and that's never happened before so at least right. for me that was a, a big help
1: yep yeah, it's literally, you know, that's what this whole biohacking stuff is, is, is kind of just uh, self-exploration and finding out what, what's causing you know, understanding what the problem is and then trying to figure out how to fix it, you know, within reason on your own and then obviously a- adding you know, medical help as
0: needed. Do you think, um, you alluded to this earlier, you said um, some patients will think they're fine and then when you help them, they're, they don't really realize how compromised they are. Why do you think that happens? I, I think, I guess, because sleep, you know, you're literally not conscious of what's going on and you have to sit there and think about it in order to figure it out. But what, what's your read on it? Why do people say, yeah, I'm fine, but they're really not fine?
1: You know, I think it has to do with with the public perception of sleep. Generally, in the past, people thought sleep was just, you know, lights out and you wake up. They They really kind of discounted what was happening at night. And because of that, you think, well, you know, I nothing's happening at night. Therefore, you know, I don't expect anything during the day. But now what people are understanding and learning and what I talk about on my own podcast, which is called best night ever, is literally your day starts the night before. And if you have a optimized sleep, you're going to thrive the next day. You're going to have that more energy. So if you realize that you can use sleep as your friend uh, versus uh, an enemy or, or an unknown, then you can harness that advantage.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. I guess I've, you know, I've told people if you're going to be on the computer or drinking or eating or whatever it is, and you expect to lay down and fall asleep two seconds later, not going to happen.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. You have to prepare for it. I have a wind down hour for about an hour before I, I, I changed all the bulbs in my house to red colors at night and uh, prevent blue light exposure. You know, I could wear blue blocking glasses, get off the phone, uh, trying not, not to eat past sunset or within two hours of sleep, avoid alcohol four hours before bed, stop coffee 2 p.m. I mean, the list goes on and on. But when I do these, you know, ritualistic every day, I get consistently great sleep. And then I can function the next day like being on podcast shows.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I, I uh, had coffee a bit late last night. and My wife said, I'm not going to feel sorry for you. And i have to tell her in a few minutes that she was right
1: so so here's the cool thing you know once you realize what things do you can then either mitigate or just know and expect like you know i was at a holiday party uh over the weekend and you know there was some alcohol and there was some food they were serving dinner at 9 p.m i usually eat like at 5 six, so i knew that that night saturday night my night was uh, going to be poor and my, my trackers all showed that my sleep was not the best but uh, I knew that. And, you know, it, it wasn't so bad. But if, if you don't know that, then you go and wonder why you know, you're feeling lousy the next day. So as long as you know and, and True. move on, you'll, you'll be OK.
0: Right. Well, for listeners, you're based in New York City, right? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, OK. I, guess yeah, I, I, used, I, I
1: right. used to be in New York, uh, in Long Island. I was doing some uh, corporate mm-hmm. consulting out there, but uh, I grew up in L.A., so I, I'm back home.
0: I'm only 3000 miles off. Okay. So you're mixed in LA. Excellent. So I don't know if you're, if you're taking patients, if they're in the area, yeah. are you taking patients and how can they get in contact?
1: Absolutely. So my practice is called snore experts. So you can find me on the website, uh, snoreexperts.com uh, on Instagram, @snoreexperts, and, and that's my day job is literally helping people with, with what's called sleep disorder breathing. So snoring, sleep apnea, uh, my night job is kind of uh, my alter ego, which is a uh, sleep biohacker. Uh, so I'm, I'm deep in the whole biohacking world. And uh, I have an Instagram account called sleep biohacker where people can go and watch all the different things I do. Like we talked about to get a great night's sleep uh, with, you know, different light therapies and aromatherapy and supplements and meditations and, and, and EMF. I mean, the list goes on and on. So uh, people can learn more there on sleep biohacker or Snore Experts. And like I mentioned earlier, too, if, if people are interested in optimizing their sleep even more after listening to this and your show, you know they can check out my podcast. It's called Best Night Ever. And it's literally all about the stuff that we talked about.
0: Yeah, that's great. I got, I got one last question for you. Yeah. Um, the whole world can't see you, unfortunately. What do people do if they're in some place and they can't get to you? How do they know that their dentist or their doctor will know any of this stuff or they just won't be an old school person that? that says, ah, oh, that's all, but yes, doesn't, doesn't have the latest and greatest to help them? How do they find the right person? Yeah.
1: So, you know, I think that the first step would be, and I was listening to some of your other podcasts and your guests, and they hit the nail on the head as well is, uh, the traditional medical system is is still a little bit slow to adopt new things like this, uh, where like, if you say you have a sleep problem and you, and you go to your primary care physician, they're going to say, okay, we'll send you to a sleep specialist, which Uh, could be a couple weeks to a month's out and then you'll get an appointment there and then they're going to set you up for an overnight study, which could be a couple more weeks. And I mean, this process could drag out three to six months and uh, that's not acceptable, especially if you have severe sleep apnea and you're stopping breathing 58 times an hour. So the way that we do it here is we're very fast and efficient. However, if you're not in the LA area, I would bring it up to your primary care or your, your dentist. Some, some might be uh the, you know the landscape's changing some might actually be receptive and, and know what to do uh, if they don't i would say you could do some internet searching and and look at uh, different providers uh, there's some online places that will do this stuff by correspondence through through the mail uh, but yeah i mean i would say do do your homework uh, at least first step is just understanding that if you you do have a problem with your sleep is is there are uh, good resources out there if you just uh, poke around a little bit
0: Okay, yeah, and the fact that there's people like you and I found a bunch means that they're out there. It just needs to be researched and found. So that's good. It's excellent. Yeah. Well, Jay, yeah, thank you for coming. I appreciate all your knowledge and info, and uh, envy your sleep. It must be like amazing. uh, (laughs) Thanks for being on the podcast here.
1: Yes, my pleasure. It's funny because people say your worst night is my best night. So at least I have that little bit of bragging right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah.